And when we met this family, it was one of the most beautiful families that we'd seen. Um, it was four, four girls, four boys, four white, four black. It was this integrated, beautiful family. And um, when we saw, met this family, they started talking to us about uh, adoption through the foster care system. And so as an RN, I went into the foster care system and they started instantly, like, we went through all of the, the prep and all the, the background checks and getting your house checked out and all that kind of stuff. And um, we were ready. At this point, our hearts were all in it, you know. The Holy Spirit, Sophie, had done their job well. And we were all, <laughs> we were all on board. And uh, what we realized is when you adopted the foster care system, not only is it free, okay, not only is it free, but they come with their medical insurance already. They have, uh, they have their health insurance, they have uh, clothing allowance, you get paid on a daily amount to have these kids. And for most of the time, their colleges aren't paid for if they go to a state college. So it's like God like took all of the things that we were like saying no to off the table. You know, all our what? Yeah, he take it, he took that all off the table. And um, and then you also get a thirteen thousand dollar tax uh, what's it called? Tax relief. Tax relief. Thirteen thousand dollars per child. So, um, it's just like, it's like, okay, God, all of our, uh, you know, reasons why we wouldn't adopt, you just go, they're gone, you know? So, anyway, we get, we go through the process, we get certified, they ask us, they're like, do you guys want, would you guys be willing to taking, like, uh, two kids, right? And we're like, no, we only want one. And, um, <laughs> oh, and then we went, up, okay, I said one at first. And then we, over time, we guys said, okay, well, maybe we'll take two at the max. And at home, Sophie's like, I can't wait for my three brothers. And I'm like, Sophie? <laughs> I'm like, so for starters, we're not just only going to put down, we'll take boys. Because I don't know if anybody's gone through this process before, but they give you this, like, three-page, like, checklist where you check off what you'll take. Well, you take a kid that was sexually abused. Yeah. Well, you take a kid with cerebral palsy. Yeah, you take a kid that has poops on himself at night. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like you go through this giant checklist of what you will, and and we're just like, Jesus, we'll take whatever, whatever you want to give us. And um, but we're like, so we're probably. I mean, just because you want these boys doesn't mean we're only going to say yes to boys, right? It could be girls. There's girl orphans out there as well. And um, so he goes, and she just was like. Okay, Dad, whatever. She kept doing that all the time. Our very first placement were these three little wild boys. And somehow they convinced us to take these three. They called us up. I remember we were on the we were being under the house. They gave us a call and they're like, we've got these three boys, the white ones that are up there. Um, which is horrible. I, I just categorize them races <laughs> because We've got every race. We've got three whites. Well, not every race. We still need an Asian. But we've got three whites. We've got um, we've got a Latino, and then we've got a little black sign. And it's I wish they would show them up there, but they're not there. Oh, they're coming. But um, so we say we say yes to these three little white wild boys. There they are. These three little wild boys, and the way they described it to us is they said these 
children are like feral children. Do you think they know what a feral cat is? Like literally, when they came to our house, like within a few minutes, they were gone. I didn't even know where they were. They were like, <laughs> we were like, where are they? And and um, and we were searching the house for them, and, and we found them. They were in the backyard peeing in the snow. <laughs> um, these kids. I'll tell you a little bit about this story. The, the, they were uh, they were in a meth lab. Their mom and dad cooked meth. Their mom is a freaking genius. She's a genius. And um, they cooked meth and she, they were raised in that environment. They suffered so much abuse. Like they were um, beat physically, sexually, all of that. These little boys came to us. And I remember when they first, what? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'll tell this little part. They, um, when the police came, because they got a call from the police, when the police came, they took, they went and took off in the woods and they had to like chase them through the woods. And, um, and, uh, but when they, when they got to us, I remember the very first day, Jerry, the oldest one there, in the orange shirt, he uh, just ran up, jumped into my arms, and he goes, are you my new daddy? And I was like, I mean, if you want to call me that, we can go, we can do that. And, uh, and uh, it was just, it was like something crazy supernatural happened because we knew that they were our boys. Because my daughter had had these dreams so many times. After they were in our house six months, and you remember Sophie's dream where she saw the girl that was the same age that was a shadow? We found out, and after six months in her home, they have an older sister that was Sophie's same age that lives in another foster home. We were just consistently reminded that, that this was God. These were our children, these were our boys. And Man, we needed that reminding because they were wild. We literally locked down for six months. We didn't leave our house for six, about six months. We couldn't. Yeah, they were great cousins. And the hilarious thing is, you would you would hear this all the time around our house. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they we call their they would call their anatomy a bird. So all the time they'd be like. I'm free as a bird, and then running around naked. But you already know our kids run around naked in their underwear if you follow us on Instagram. Always in their underwear. But um, but anyway, they were just the wildest kids I'd ever laid eyes on. We needed the Lord to like walk with us very closely during this season because we were in uncharted territory. We had no clue what we were doing. Like I said, we never even wanted to be foster. We never wanted to be foster parents. We never wanted to be adopted mom and dad. But the Lord had called us into that, and we said yes. And you know, that's the thing that um, I've been taught so much from, from my children, is, is that your simple yes opens up so much for you. And I can't believe that there were moments in my life when I was ready. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Rodrigo. He's the next one that came to us. Roddy came to us and he had cerebral palsy. Um, Rodrigo was a year and a half and he was shaking infant. His uh, aunt shook him and threw him across the room, fractured his skull, and then didn't take him to the hospital for 24 hours. And in that time, he lost a lot of blood flow to his brain. And that's why he's in this wheelchair. That's why he, we have to feed him through a G tube in his stomach. But I'm telling you, like, God does. I mean, I, I look back at my life, and, and the only reason that we got Roddy was because I was a nurse. 
the foster care system. It's the only reason. We weren't qualified to take a fragile kid, but they, could, they didn't have anybody else. They just had us. And so they gave it to me. And I, I look back and I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I became a nurse because I, it was back in 2007 when the, 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 the economy crashed and nobody cared about musicians or, or, or artists anymore. And so I had to come up with something to take care of my family. So that's the reason why. But the Lord knew all along. He was preparing me for my son. And so in the in the system, in the system, because we were Osmers, they gave us Roddy. And here comes Roddy. He's this little um, fragile, fragile uh, child with cerebral palsy. Uh, he can't, he's blind. He can't make any sounds. All the only thing he can do is make these clicking sounds. Like, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> He would do, he could make sounds, and he was completely blind. He was a vegetable when we first got him. But we watched the Lord do miracle after miracle on a daily basis in the living room of our home. You know, we saw these miracles. Roddy can now see. He's got 97%. Never attached. Yeah, they said he would never care about us, that he would never form a, an attachment. And I remember the day that I took him to therapy, and I... And <laughs> but I remember, I remember the day that I took him to therapy, which, this is what, I, we didn't know we were saying yes to. Our, the first few months, it was how many hours of therapy a week? Eight hours, five days a week. Is what we were committing to with this little guy. And so I would take him across town, and we would go to go to therapy. And, and, um, and I remember the day that I took him, and I and I dropped him off. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I remember the day that I dropped him off, and he and he cried because I was leaving him. And I mean, I broke down. I broke down, <laughs> and because all the nurses there were breaking down, they were all crying. But you know. Because of, you know, with Roddy, there was so much work that we had to do with this kid that I remember the day, and I was like, I, mean, I don't know if we can keep doing this. I don't, we've got three other boys, we've got a daughter. I said, yes, we will. <laughs> but, I, but you knew I was serious. It was a different, it wasn't like, I can be like, I'm not doing this, and I really mean I'm going to. But, um, <laughs> but this is a real one. And uh, she knew it. And I told God, I was like, God, I, I don't know if I can do this. I know you told me, you gave us this. Because the thing is, is that when we first got Roddy, me and I we prayed and we said, God, you want us to take this child? And the Lord spoke to my wife and said, said, I'm bringing him to you because I want him healed. And he spoke to me and said, Rodrigo will preach the gospel. And these were the words that we got from this little boy the second that we said yes to him. And when we brought him into our home, man, we did not know what we were getting into. There was a lot of work, and I remember the day that I said, God, I don't think I can do this. I need another sign. I have to have a sign from you. I was like, I physically and emotionally and mentally just can't keep doing this. And I remember because I was driving, I was driving to work the same way I did every single morning. And that day, and I'm so thankful for his grace. This is what I'm saying. Like, when you say yes to being a wild one, when you say yes to being a wild one, you need the help of Jesus, and you need his grace. Because on the way to work that morning, they had just put up this brand new building. 
a literal sign. That's what I got. That's what I got. And it was that it was that man that was pushing his son in the marathons in the wheelchair. It was on the side of the road, and it said "Didn't behind him for like 65 marathons or something." Father behind his son for like 65 marathons or something. And I broke. Oh my gosh, I cried a lot. I used to not cry at all, but I cried a whole lot now. <laughs> all the time. I was crying. I was like, God, you're okay. Okay, God, I'm going to do it. And you know, I look back, and man, I cannot even believe that was a question in my heart. Because if I would have said no to that, we would have missed out on so much of the Father. So much of the miraculous. So much of His love. So much of the, the grit that, like, Kim Lee was talking about last night. I, you know, I say, I talk about this a lot, but God didn't work. God's not raising up a bunch of little passive people. He wants us to be, that have that grit. And he's ready, he wants to raise those kind of people up, especially now. If you haven't noticed, we need some believers that have some grit, that have a pact when we need them. Oh, and I'm just going to, I'm going to preach this one second. Because one thing, one of the things I hate the most is Passive aggressiveness, okay? Passive aggressive is my ultimate, like, pet peeve, and I cannot barely deal with it. If you're passive aggressive, let's pray right now that Jesus delivers you from that. <laughs> and just flip it. Be aggressive. Aggressive is easier to deal with. <laughs> aggressive is better. You know, a lot of times people that are aggressive, they have, like, a, there's a passion in there. You know? I'm aggressive. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that. But anyway... Like, this, that passive thing, come on, we can't be passive believers. We need to know who we're serving. We need to know who we belong to. And just go for it, man. And that's what God's doing. He's raising up. And that's what it would have happened. Like, if I did, if I had said no to that, we would have missed out on so much. Like, tell the story about when you took me to the courtroom. I love the story. So, I was there with
testimonies like like another one was when uh, she, I mean, took him to the neurologist and the neurologist that had seen him in the beginning was a year after that and he just broke down in tears and he said, I had no hope for this kid. Let me read you the report. And he said, I cannot believe this is the same little boy. And um, and you know, I look back and and if if I would have said no, I'm I'm just so thankful that I kept saying yes. Because just like just like Kimberly was saying last night, is you don't ever arrive. I feel like especially now that I'm a father, especially now that I've adopted these kids, you're never like arrived. Like you think you are sometimes, and then they just do something else that's crazy and you're like, what? I did not see that coming. It's like, it's like I'm at the checkpoint. We're at the checkpoint. Oh God, there it is. It's like ten miles down the road. So, but it's it's uh it, it's just that's one of the things that you have to consistently keep saying yes, yes, and thank God that He's always there and His grace is there and it covers it's covered us all along the way. Don't forget Sean. Oh uh, no, I'm not talking about Sean. He always forgets Sean, and when Sean's with us, he'll run up and give a Michael a sheet of paper and say. <laughs> but I can't forget Sean because he is the most amazing little kid in the planet Earth, that little boy right there. And um, he, right now, we are in the final phases of finalizing his adoption. Uh, he's been in our house for five, four years, four years, and it's been a, a, a battle, it's been an uphill battle. We found ourselves, that's what I tell you, when you say yes to adoption, and especially in the foster care system, um, you're going to end up in places you never thought you would ever be. <laughs> like, I was in a maximum capacity prison, like four levels in, meeting with our boy's birth father, asking him if he, if he would sign custody over to us. And, um, and there was a time, that was one incident. Uh, another one was that we were sitting at McDonald's with their birth mom. She came in and she had bruises all over her neck and, and uh, because of her current boyfriend. And she, this is the genius woman that um, can cook meth. <laughs> uh, and she's like sitting across from me at the table, this little McDonald's table, which you guys know McDonald's tables are like this big, so like we're like right here, like face to face. We're trying to let your seats don't even push back. So you're trying to get you know, from being right in her face. Very uncomfortable moment, but she looked at me and I and she said, and I tell my boys this all the time because I want them to know that even in their mother's brokenness, that she absolutely loved them. And she looked at me and I, and she said, would you guys, with tears in her eyes, she goes, would you adopt my boys? She goes, you can give them a better life than me. Then she had to sign custody. So that meant she had to go to a court, stand before a judge. And she did that knowing that there was warrants out for her arrest. So she went, knowing that there was a warrant out for her, but signed custody, and they put her in handcuffs. It's a great team, right there. But she did that for her boys. And then, like, that's not the end of the story, because God met her in jail. And let me tell you, it's not the end of the story. Her, uh, her um, chaplain in prison, we get this crazy email, because she's in this prison, get this email, and um, she's... She said, my chaplain brought me a stack of CDs, and in the CDs was your CD. And she goes, all I'm doing is listening to your music, and I feel like I'm close to my boys when I listen to this music. And, I, and she goes, and the girls around me say they feel the Holy Spirit. She goes, I don't know what that feels like yet, but I want it. 
And then, and so then we tell, we tell uh, Jared, our oldest son. So I go pick up Jared and I told him the story about that. And he goes, his response was, God, Jesus makes it so easy for you to believe in him. <laughs> you know, our life is, our lives are filled with these stories of God doing wild things. And I can tell you a thousand more. Literally, I won't keep doing that, but, um, we, I want to talk a little bit about Sean because it was a, it's been a long road, but Sean, God changed the law. Like, we literally weren't allowed to take Sean out of Tennessee because he wasn't adopted. But because the caseworkers and the lawyers and everything knew, you know, he was attached to us and everything, they changed And I threw a fit. What? And I threw a fit. Yeah, and I threw a fit. <laughs> Ivy was not going to take no for an answer. They had an intervention, and they were like, it was caseworkers, Michael, and everyone else, and they're like, you're not going to be able to take your son, so you need to accept this. And I was like, I refuse to. I'm Jacob. And they're like, I need, like, this federal defense. We can't take them. And I was like, well, I don't care. I was like, I'm Jacob, and I will not take no for an answer. And they even had some of our friends go get um, foster parents certified where they can keep him while we moved to California. And I was like, you can do it, but I'm still taking on. I will not go without this job. And then so then they came back like a week later. And I just, I feel like that's what you do with the Lord is when he tells you something, he doesn't take it away. So he wasn't going to give me my son. I had a dream about Sean. I had even had three, four handfuls. We didn't want another child. And then I dreamed that I got this little black boy. And then I woke up and I told Michael and Sophie, and I texted Casework, and they said, yes, we'll take them. And then so I texted the caseworker, and I said, bring me my little two-year-old black boy. And she goes, Abby, you're crazy. We don't get um, single children, and um, you're just crazy. And then two weeks later, exactly, Michael and I are voting, and um, she goes, I have your little black boy. I'll be at your house in an hour. So, and that's it. I, and so that's why I stood on that. I was like, what God gives me, he doesn't take away. And, and, and the thing about foster parents, literally, they will call you up and say, will you take this kid? And we're like, all right, yeah. And then like within the hour, they're at your front door. It's like, it's a wild ride. It's a, literally, it's a wild ride. Um, but... I just want to, you know, that's our story. We have, like I said, we have so many stories. I'm so thankful that we said yes because it's only drawn me deeper into an understanding of the Father's heart. Um, it's, people say, man, you guys are so great. Look what you've done. Look what you did for these kids. And um, they've done so much more for us. And, um, I, you know, I remember I was asking the Lord, because there's a scripture, and it's James 1.27. And James 1.27 says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and the widows. And refuse, in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And I said, God, I was like, God, I was like, what in the world? What? Why is caring for orphans and widows like the most purest form of religion? 
I mean, I grew up in church. My dad was a Baptist minister. I grew up in church. I knew what it, I knew. I know it all. I'd seen. I had been in services all in every house denomination, from the Baptist to the Charismaniac, and then to I went. I've been in everything, you know. And I never. I have never like seen people like people get up and talk about the orphanage, especially the widow. I had no clue what that meant. So I was like. So God, why are you saying this is the most purest and undefiled form of religion? And God spoke to me and he said, because in order to care for the orphan and the widow, the church has to look like its most pure and undefiled form, and that's family. If you know anything, if you know anything, family is the only place where an orphan needs are met. If that was a true foster care system, would be the best thing on planet Earth, and it's definitely not that. that. I wanted to reiterate your statistic because right now in America, the statistic is that there's 100,000 adoptable kids in foster care. Now, this isn't like the ones that are just taken from their home. These are the ones that can be adopted today, right now, this very moment if somebody said yes. There's 100,000 of them, and there's 400,000 churches in so think about how quickly we could get rid of foster care in our nation. How we can put orphans in homes. How quickly we can do that. But the thing is, is that in order for an orphan, in order for a widow to get what she really needs and have her true needs met, it means family coming around her. That's the only way. You need a mom and a dad. That's what makes an orphan not an orphan. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, this has been a long journey that I've been on for a while, but I remember when I was back in Kansas City, we spent some time at my house, and I was asking the Lord, like, God, what is your kingdom? Because I kept hearing them talk about the kingdom, the kingdom. And I was like, it can't be what I think it is, because it just wasn't resonating with my spirit. Like, you know, the kingdom of God is not churches getting bigger, it's not political structures growing. And I kept thinking, you know, I was like, it cannot be what I think it is. And I remember I searched and I went and I asked them in the bookstore, you got a book on the kingdom of God? And uh, they were like, you mean you don't know? And I'm like, I'm like literally, I don't. I, you know, I, need, I want to know more about, like, the kingdom of God. And um, I remember I was in the season of searching, praying, and I was listening to Bill Johnson, a podcast. And in one of his little nuggets, you know how he, like, Every now and then, in this very long, amazing sermon, but I, was, I, I forgot everything else that he said, except this one little thing when he said, the kingdom of God at its core is family. And all of a sudden, I got it. I was like, God, you are our father. You're this great big dad that does this adoption thing. You're really into it. You love adopting. You love making orphans sons. Making orphans daughters. That's what you, you do. This is the kingdom of God. And then it just started making so much sense because it's it's like it's not political. Yeah, there can be politics, there can be business, but the kingdom of God is not a business. It's a family. Because in family, love abounds. It's the only institution in the earth where love abounds in every aspect of it, especially in God's perfect design. So that's why I love this scripture when it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
Because I'm telling you, especially the world's trying to corrupt the image of our fa of family all around us. And some of you, even in this room right now, when we talk about family, it doesn't bring back the greatest emotions or feelings or, or memories because you've had corrupt, I mean, you know, maybe abusive parents. Or maybe your family, your, your, your families have fallen apart. But we have to refuse to allow that to corrupt us. We have to refuse. Do you not think that the enemy understands how important this thing is? It's everything. It's everything. It is the kingdom. And, and you know, my own, my own life and in my own family, in my family and in my upbringing, I'm the most unlikely person to be standing here talking about this right now. Everything in my life shattered the image of what real family was supposed to look like. Of it in its most pure form. It was, it was, it was just shattered and, and, and I don't want to get into all that, but I remember I was at, in Kona, Hawaii, and Darlene Cunningham said, Michael, she goes, she goes, um, I want you to get up and give your testimony tonight. I want you to tell everyone what your number one calling is. And I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought about that, you know? I knew about it. <laughs> you know? I was like, what's my number one calling? She goes, I want you to get up and share your, your testimony and, and to tell us what your number one calling is. And, and I remember I was like, wow. It's like, I've got like 30 minutes and I don't know my number one calling is. <laughs> I was like, I need your help. And I was like, I, I lead worship. I, but I, I felt the Father. And he said, your number one calling has always, 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 always been. Even when you didn't know it, even when you didn't feel like it, even when the enemy was coming at that thing in you, has always been to be the Father. And that's always been my calling. It's always been my anointing. But it's stepping into that now is, the, is one of the greatest joys. I, you know, it's the greatest joy. And I get the privilege of seeing these children in my home transform. The Lord spoke to me and he said, the butterfly tells the story of the orphan. He told me that while I was out jogging. And he said, when an orphan comes in, you wrap them up in that cocoon of love. So a metamorphosis takes place. And think about it, that's all of our story. There's a safety in our Father's love when He wraps it around us that we're actually able to be transformed to our true identity. We're actually being able to, to make it to who we really are because we're safe in this place of love. And now I get to be like my Father. I get to create that safety in my own home. I get to create that safety around me whenever we go to, and do, do ministry. When I when we do the United Pursuit School of Worship, I would have asked people what got to go to. That's how I met her. And who? Oh, Yolani. Is Yolani here? Yep, Yolani. Yolani was in her school of worship. Yeah. We're, we create, it's that, it's that place that I get to be like my dad. I get to be like him. And, um, and create that, that place of, of security and love where people are actually able to become their, their true identity. And we all get to do that. Because that, that cocoon is actually called family. That's what it is. We all have the opportunity to step into that. Now, I get to do that now as a father. Like I said, it's always been my calling. It's always been my number one calling. I said, but some of you guys are in that place. Some of you are brothers. 
existence right now. Some of you don't, you know, stepping into what that looks like as a brother. What does that look like? Man, I'm telling you, I need my brothers in Christ around me. When I'm, when I'm going after, after something, that's why what was happening up here was so powerful. Because just like Jessica said, we said yes. All three of these couples right here have said yes to pain, really. I've said yes to the hardship. I've said yes to the count the cost. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. It is so worth it. And we need our brothers around us, champions. We need our sisters saying, you got this. And you're okay. We need our sisters saying, pull it together. Compartmentalize it. <laughs> Can I tell that story? I won't say that. Shame, and it was a massive revelation. 
because my little boy, the oldest one, I remember one day we were trying to get ready for school, and if y'all don't know, if you've got one child, it's a big one, but if you've got six, it's like an act of God to get out the door in time, getting everybody's clothes, and like, I'm like, I, I don't want to yell. Why am I yelling at 6 a.m.? <laughs> oh, it's so exhausting. But we're, we, it's always this, it's this crazy, like, like, like I said, after I got to get out of the front door. And this morning, my oldest son, Jared, was just in tears. He was crying. He was sitting in the corner. I'm like, Jared, you got to get dressed. Put your clothes on. Find your shoes. Where are your shoes at? You know, you can't ever find anybody's shoes. And it's like, we're, we're you know, it's like, you got to get dressed. And he, I couldn't. He was crying. I was like, and then I realized, I was like, okay, something's going on. And so I stopped everything. And I was like, Jared, what's wrong? What's going on? And he said, Daddy, I don't want to tell you. And I was, I was, son, I said, you can tell me anything right now. He's like, no, I'm, I'm too embarrassed. And I'm too ashamed. He didn't say those words, but that's basically what he was saying. He's like, I don't want to tell you. I was like, no. I said, it's okay. He said, I love you. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can say. That would change that. And he looked at me and he goes, um, he goes, I just want to tell you that put my mouth on my stuffed animals privately. And I was like, in that moment, it was like God just revealed so much to me in that moment. Because I wasn't upset with him for that. I was broken. I was broken that he said, I said, when? I said, son, is it okay? Well, tell me more. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, he goes, yeah, why when we first moved here? This was like Three months after that. He carried that for like three months. Carried that in his heart. And I there was not an ounce of me that was upset with him or disgusted by him or grossed out. I'll tell you where my anger was. It was who did that to you? Why do you even know that? My anger was rerouted. It had nothing to do with him. And I realized. That's your father. That's your father. It makes, to him, he looks at that and he goes, yeah, you're carrying this shame. You're confessing this thing to me in your brokenness, but I'm not angry with you. Let me tell you, I am angry. We have a common enemy, and I'm just as mad at him and upset with him as you are at this moment, if not more. And guess what? I'm the father. And I just, you know, that's what the Lord, and He spoke to me. And, and uh, just even right now, I feel like God is wanting some of you guys to just come into that realization that His love can't, it doesn't even look at that. I mean, it's, it's wild, but it's weird. wild as a parent. It's like, I didn't even, I don't even, I never saw that again. I never even thought about it again. I, I accept that I wanted them to know that my son was being healed, and we went through the process of going to therapy, and all these kind of things that we've been in for years now. But that's your father. That's his heart towards you. There's no shame that you could carry, and it's a waste of your time, and it's a waste of energy. It's a waste to carry that thing. And he sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. And so right now, God, I just want to ask people to close their eyes right now. Father, we thank you 
you don't see our brokenness, that our brokenness doesn't stop your love. That our shame doesn't stop your love. But Father, you see, you know, and you love us so, so much. And God, we do say and testify that you are a good God. You're a good dad. We will refuse right now. I just want us to take a moment just as a just in agreement say that we're gonna refuse to allow the world to corrupt. We're gonna refuse to allow the world to corrupt us. To distort the image of what you have called the most beautiful thing in that family. That we will refuse to allow the world, and we'll refuse to allow people, and we'll refuse to allow those that have hurt us, and we'll refuse God. Not out of our own strength, God, but because you are right here with us and your spirit is right here with us. But we refuse it right now, God, and we want to call what you have called good 